continuing my response to a comment which came up uh, to one of my talks which I gave, uh, the t specifically the talk which I gave in response to, uh, at pretty much the same time, the murder of a British MP and the attacks on temples in Bangladesh, including the murder of one of our ISKCON Brahmachari monks. So the comment that was made appeared to be made by a Muslim, and the basic claim was that Hinduism is stupid and irrational. Now, I made the point that I'm not an apologist for everything that goes on in Hinduism, and I don't particularly like the term Hinduism anyway. Sanatan Dharma is better. But anyway, let's continue. One thing I should say is that the whole Vaishnava approach to God is one of loving him and appreciating his transcendental qualities, not taking from him that what will we get by worshipping him. There's much more to say about this, but not in this particular discussion. I request those of you who are actually interested in these subjects and don't just want to bandy around propaganda to read the books of His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada, which present in a very clear way the science of understanding God. Science, in other words, it's sensible and rational. As far as rationality goes in understanding God, it only goes so far. So the claim is that what sensible, rational person would accept things like the story of Ganesh having his head cut off and replaced with an elephant's head and Krishna, his apparent uh, illicit activities and so on and so on. This question supposes that people in general are sensible and rational. But it, it doesn't seem like that. How many people smoke cigarettes? What's sensible and rational about that? It's, it harms your health and you have to, very badly harms your health and you have to pay for it. You have to work hard to get money to do something which does you no good whatsoever. And on the contrary, it does harm to you. So what's sensible and rational about that? But millions of people all over the world do so. There are so many examples. Nuclear power is a very good energy solution, but the only thing is it's going to pollute the earth for thousands and thousands of years. And there's its immediate gain, but very long-term serious harm. And even uh, fossil fuels... We're, we're polluting the environment. So many bad things we're doing to the earth and irreversible damage just for some immediate supposed gain. Whether it's a gain or not is, is uh, arguable. In the Vedic literature, 
which our commentator seems to think is hopelessly stupid and irrational. In the Vedic literature, this attitude to life is termed under the headings Shreya and Preya, that people should be interested in their ultimate benefit, Shreyas, in their ultimate benefit. They should see the long term and not just act prayas. For the, prayas means the immediate benefit. There are so many ways in which can be seen that humans don't seem to be very sensible and rational. Even great intelligent leaders of nations, but they're leading their nations and all the nations are all pitted against each other. If they could cooperate together rather than being always in envy of each other, an intention, uh, wouldn't that be much better? But it's, all, it's animalistic, the kind of rivalry that goes on between nations and even among religions. In the name of religion, people, my religion is better than yours, my religion is better than yours, your religion isn't sensible or rational, our religion is sensible and rational. From the Vedantic perspective, Muslims, Christians, Hindus, atheists, Pretty much everyone is in ignorance. They're not sensible or rational because they don't know who they are. The first installment of actual spiritual knowledge is to understand that we're all intrinsically spiritual beings, part and parcel of God, as Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. Bhamai Vangsho Jiva Loke, Jiva Bhuta Sanatanaha. We're all eternal. Part and parcels, that's how our Guru Srila Prabhupada translate that, translates that. We're all intrinsically part and parcels of and subordinate to God. But we're in ignorance, thinking I'm, I am this body, I am American, I am Indian, I am Chinese, I am black, I am white, I like this, I don't like that, I like you, I don't like you. So where's this, who, where's the... Rationality. One thing about rationality is that, well, it, it can be a good start in understanding reality. For instance, it is useful, of, it, it goes without saying, doesn't it? It is useful to know that one plus one equals two. It is useful to understand so many things in this world. But there comes a point when we try to understand this world when we come to inconceivability. Even, even on the material platform, rationality only takes us so far. I gave that example. In mathematics, in, in your primary algebra classes, you learn that there cannot be a square root of a negative integer. When you go higher in mathematics, you find it's possible. It doesn't work according to basic algebra, but there are, there are higher principles which it's inconceivable practically. And the same thing is going on in classic, classic physics and quantum physics. The higher level algebra doesn't discard or negate the lower level, or the, I wouldn't say lower, it's just primary algebra. It doesn't negate it, and it's, it's 
required to go through basic algebra to come to the higher level, but um, at the same time, at the higher level, there are principles at work which cannot be understood at the lower level. So what's that got to do with this Ganesh and Krishna and all this? What I'm saying is that we're dealing with transcendental spiritual understanding at a higher level than can be understood from persons who are trapped in the lower level. It's just like in two-dimensional existence, we can't, we can't understand what is three-dimensional existence. And if you want to say that, we want to point out our religion is very sensible and rational, yours isn't. Well, practically, yeah, all religions are rejected by persons who consider themselves strict, strict rationalists. They consider that all religions are irrational. And there are all kinds of things in all <coughs> religions which defy strict rationality. For instance, uh, one of the world's major religions is based on the implicit belief that a disembodied voice spoke in a cave to someone who was illiterate, who later repeated that to others. And later, that person who repeated that to others, you can understand who I'm talking about, flew off to heaven, which rational people don't believe in, flew off to heaven on a winged horse. We have in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and I'm not sure whether this is in the Quran or not, but we have what is understood to be God talking from or represented as a bush which is burning but doesn't become consumed. And of course, the whole of Christianity is based on the premise that a dead body comes back to life again. And in Christianity, maybe in Islam, I obviously haven't studied it much, uh, it's accepted or has been accepted through the centuries that there are angels with wings who fly here and there human-like figures who have wings. So if you really want to be very sensible and very rational, then maybe you should be an atheist. And why talk about your religion is irrational when all religions seem to have strong doses of what would appear to be irrationality in them. But then when we come to atheism, atheism is largely predicated on we believe in science. Or we don't exactly believe, but we accept science. But then we get in orthodox scientific discourse. It's widely accepted to the extent that if you don't believe it, you're considered wacko. You're not really considered rational if you don't believe in Big Bang Theory, which is based on the idea that unlimited mass in an infinitesimal point, rational, explodes, and everything falls into place neatly, so neatly that the whole complex cosmos, which 
we're studying and we can hardly begin to understand falls into place. It falls into place so nicely that we can study it with science. The fact is that the complexity of this world, it cannot be satisfactorily explained in what we might call a, a, a sensible or a logical way. And then you have to go beyond logic. A Big Bang theory isn't logical. As Rupert Sheldrake says, give us one miracle and we'll explain everything else. The miracle of the Big Bang. It's, it's unexplainable, irrational, uh, but if you just believe in that, then we'll explain it, or we'll try to explain it. So the idea that when we get to, when we get beyond the basic level of understanding, we may have to transcend logic, come to a supralogical position. Well, maybe that's close. Maybe that's the most close to reality. Just like I say, you go from classic physics to quantum physics, and quantum physics doesn't seem to tally with anything, or many. Let's put it this way: many observ many observations are in with many observations understood through quantum physics, and what is extrapolated from that doesn't fit with what we would in our day-to-day -day life call sensible, rational understanding. Einstein was so disturbed by quantum theory that he didn't like it. The, the idea that it doesn't tally with realism, he didn't like that at all. God doesn't play dice with the universe, famous quote. Uh, but at least at the present time, the, the, the understanding is that, of course, Einstein didn't believe in a personal God, but he didn't believe that reality was so, so much lacking in order uh, when, we, in, when in science we're trying to find how everything is ordered. So what's the, what's, what's the point I'm trying to make here is that rationality only helps us so far. And if we want to be strictly sensible and rational, it might not be very sensible and rational to do so. If, if we're constricted to thinking only in terms of being sensible and rational, then we're constricted in how far we can go in our understanding of reality, even at the material level and what to speak of the spiritual level. In this regard, I can speak, spoke it before, spoke it so many times. The well-known example of the frog in the well, who thinks that all of reality is encompassed within what he can see, which is not much. All he can see is the mud and slime at the bottom of his well, the walls of the well, and the sky above which he doesn't know what's going on and he doesn't have a James Webb telescope to shoot off into space. And he's nowhere near even beginning to understand what a telescope is anyway. But he feels satisfied with his understanding of reality 
is that what is his understanding of reality? Jump here and there, catch a few flies, and uh, sing a few songs at night, and be happy. His his understanding of reality is extremely constricted. So we're like that also. We're we're sitting here on a little planet with. Even with the best of telescopes, we can only see a tiny fraction of what possibly or probably is out there in great space. We don't even know what's going on in the oceans, inside the Earth. We only have very limited senses. There may be all kind of, we don't know, there could be all kind of sensual phenomena of which we're completely unaware because we don't have the sensual apparatus to even begin to access them. It's, it's not impossible. So what we think of science as being very sensible and rational, but it's all based on certain presumptions. They're, they want to understand everything. They want to get a theory of everything to explain simply and elegantly everything, although the great mathematician come philosopher of the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, wrote about 900 pages to rationally prove that one plus one equals two. So it might not be such a simple thing. But the, the, the very presumption of science that everything can or should be explained in purely physical terms, that in itself is a massive presumption which is absolutely unprovable. And it's based on three other assumptions, at least three other assumptions, axioms, we, we, can, we can call them, which are also unprovable. The presumption that all phenomena can be explained can be completely explained by natural laws expressed in the language of mathematics. That these physical laws apply everywhere and in all places, all, everywhere, all times. And that the fundamental natural laws are simple. These are unproven and unprovable assumptions. But if you don't accept them, then you're supposed to be not very rational. But all these, these are massive, unquestioned assumptions that all of science rests on. Actually, even the very idea of rationality, if you want to define what rationality is, if we want to rationally define what rationality is, then we're caught in a circular argument. We, we, it is impossible to define or explain what is rationality without invoking principles that we already presume to be rational. So we're, we're caught in a bind there. You can call it a semantic bind, but it, again, the very idea of rationality is just based on a presumption. We think science, we prove everything in science, but what are we proving? It's all based on various assumptions. If you don't accept the assumptions, you're considered to be not very sensible or rational. But 
if one actually has a probing, sensible, rational mind, then he'll question everything, <laughs> including the very presumptions of science, which although science claims to be able to or, or wants to prove everything in its own terms, its own terms are unprovable. And then if you get into the philosophy of science, you get in more problems, just like we, we want to base everything in science on, on mathematics. And what is a number anyway? Sounds like a silly question. You, you know, you learn what a number is when you go to school. It's just as an infant, practically. Well, go ask a philosopher of science. No easy answer. So, we were, our commentator who thinks that the idea of Ganesh having an elephant head is stupid, I'll get to dealing with this specifically, but it'll take some time to get there, uh, <coughs> wants to present that Christianity and Islam are sensible and rational and Hinduism isn't. Well, at the just think, at the present time, scientists are proposing all kinds of things, such as universes which split, like cells, biological cells split, and then again they split. Mul multiply splitting universes. Cosmic wormholes from travel. Th th this is... These are the kinds of things that some mainstream scientists are seriously talking about. The possibility of there being, this is all extrapolated from astrophysics, that caused the cosmic wormhole, so to speak, by which you can travel from one space-time dimension to another. Universes in which time reverses. Stephen Hawking postulated, among others, postulated that, that now the universe is, is, is expanding and time is going forward in a linear manner and possibly, possibly there will be a time when the universe deflates and then time will go backwards, so you'll die before you're born. Scienti scientists as respectable as Stephen Hawking talk about such things. Of course, he doesn't talk about it now because... Uh, he died after he was born, but he's died. Others are talking about it. Uh, Eleven dimensions of space-time, string theory. Well, when respectable scientists talk about such things, maybe the transcendental conceptions found in the Vedas shouldn't be dismissed without due consideration, including things like how Ganesh gets an elephant head. In this regard, I want to discuss a little bit, little bit about uh, a book called The Tower of Physics, which was released way back in 1975 by Fritjof Capra. The subtitle of that was An Exploration of the Parallels Between Modern Physics and Eastern Mysticism. And it was a groundbreaking book. It was written largely for laymen. There's some technical language in it. It was written largely for laymen. It was written by a physicist who uh, investigated the gathering phenomenon at that time 
of mainstream physicists in respectable universities and institutions in the Western world um, seeing that where they were going in theoretical physics increasingly seemed to parallel the mysticism that yogis and Buddhist meditators had been talking about for centuries. It, it became, that book was translated into 23 languages, a very famous and very influential book, which started a whole genre of other books. He summarized his, Fritjof Capra summarized his motivation for writing the book by saying that science does not need mysticism and mysticism does not need science, but man needs both. Now, Capra later discussed his ideas with Werner Heisenberg. And if you're a very sensible, rational person, then presumably you've heard the name of Werner Heisenberg because he's a, a massive figure in the history of science. He won the 1932 Nobel Prize for physics for what they call the creation of quantum mechanics. Of course, he wasn't the only one, but a massive, massive figure. Massive figure. And of course, he's also famous for his uncertainty principle. Uh, but Fridjof Capra he, he had some discussions with Werner Heisenberg, who told him, Heisenberg told Capra, that when Heisenberg was formulating or, yeah, formulating his theories in quantum physics, quantum mechanics, it, it just seemed, it seemed to be right, and at the same time, it seemed to be wrong. And in other words, just too strange. But Heisenberg said that when he went to India, Heisenberg visited India, and he had many discussions with a, another Nobel laureate, Ravindranath Tagore, who is, of course, in a completely different field. His Nobel laureate was in literature. But after long discussions with... Uh, Ravindranath Tagore, Heisenberg felt assured, he felt more assured that his ideas weren't so crazy after all, because in fact there's a whole ancient culture that subscribes to similar ideas. And Niels Bohr, another great figure in the dawn in the early days of quantum theory, which still is going on. Many of the problems that they faced haven't been solved. No, nowhere close. Well, especially the quantum relativity thing, matching them up hasn't been resolved and it haven't come any closer. So Niels Bohr had a similar experience when he went to China. Now, what, what are they talking Quantum theory, just like, for instance, something happens in one part of the universe and affects something in another part of the universe. It's, it's, it doesn't seem to be sensible or rational. Now, what Heisenberg was talking about, he was discussing with Tagore, was the concept, uh, 
in Advaita Vedanta of everything ultimately being one and everything being interlinked. But actually, that's only the entrance level, this very, very high transcendental understanding. It's only the entrance level, actually, although followers of, of Advaita Vedanta will not accept this, but it's only the entrance level into transcendental understanding. Now, anyway, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent because, well, I'm just making the point that what you call Hinduism as, as being not sensible and not rational, it's on a very... There are concepts there which are on a very, very high level of understanding, far higher than the common man can even begin to enter into, including the common Hindu. Anyway, I plan to talk more on similar topics in an upcoming series of talks about atheism. I don't want to get into it too much now, but atheists reject theism they consider it not to be sensible or rational, and they, one major reason is because they think that our oh, religion causes so many wars, but in fact the wars that are, and the tension that goes on in the name of religion, it's not really religious at all. If the leaders and groups involved were truly religious, and if they really understood the will of God, they wouldn't be fighting with each other. Seems to make sense, doesn't it? They all believe in God. My God is better than your God. It's a tribal mentality. So the different warring parties, they profess religion, but they're all acting in disobedience to the actual desire of God. Disobedience to the eternal precepts. They're all acting in disobedience to the eternal precepts of true religion. The... A former president of Egypt, Anwar Sadat, who was assassinated by a fellow Muslim because that fellow Muslim thought that Anwar Sadat wasn't Muslim enough, so he should be killed. Anyway, Anwar Sadat was discussing with the then president of America, President Jimmy Carter, uh, about tensions between Christians and Muslims, and Anwar Sadat said that even if Jesus Christ and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, were to come in our midst today, they wouldn't be able to persuade Muslims and Christians to reconcile. Now, why would, why would it be that if the founders of these great religions who are accepted by the founders of their religions to be perfect in spiritual realization, why would they not be able to convince their followers? Anwar Sadat was convinced of this. Well, those who call themselves followers, they're not aware of and they're not obeying eternal religious principles. Our own most worshipable Gurudev, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He describes true eternal religious principles beyond sectarian fanatical beliefs. 
What does he say? He sums it up like this. He, uh, he writes, The sum and substance of religious life is to execute the orders of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and one who does so is perfectly religious. Who can argue with that? In the Bhagavad Gita, the Supreme Lord, Krishna says, Just think of me always and become my devotee. Furthermore, the Lord says, Give up all kinds of material engagements and simply surrender unto me. Anyone who directly executes such an order from the personality of Godhead is actually a religious person. Others are described as pretenders, for there are many activities going on throughout the world in the name of religion which are not actually religious. To comprehend the actual value of religion, of the, the spiritual essence which is at the core, it requires real spiritual understanding which is which is beyond give us this day our daily bread god what do you got to give me give me give me give me give me but real religion is based on love of god with no personal demand so religion Srimad bhagavatam presents to us is the science of understanding god and the soul that means to know factually god and the soul and how to attain eternal life beyond repeated birth and death. So this Krishna Conscious Movement is based on the Vedic scriptures. There's no sectarian concepts there because the Vedic scriptures or the Vedic knowledge existed before there were all these sectarian religions. So this Krishna Conscious Movement can actually contribute to society by establishing universal principles of religion. And as Srila Prabhupada explained, this knowledge will free us from this sectarian mentality that leads to unnecessary strife. Srila Prabhupada wrote, if one advocates the Hindu religion, Muslim religion, the Christian religion, this religion or that religion, there will be, con there will be conflicts. History shows that the followers of religious systems without a clear conception of God have fought with one another. See, that's the problem. There's no clear conception of God. In fact, in some religions, they don't have any clear conception of God. They say, too high, too high, too high. There are many instances of this in human history, but systems of religion that do not concentrate upon service to the Supreme are tempor temporary and cannot last for long because they're full of envy. One must give up the idea of my belief and your belief. Everyone should believe in God and surrender unto him. One should try to know God in truth. We propose that the Vedic literature gives the most sensible and rational understanding and complete understanding of God as much as can be understood by our puny intelligence. So in the next session, I plan to start responding to directly to the claims of the foolishness and the irrationality in Hinduism. I'll leave that for another session. Vancha kalpa tarubhyas cha kripa sindhu bhyavacha 
Patitanam Pabane Pio Vaishnave Pio Namonamaha Dante Nitaya Churnakang Padayone Patakrit Vacha Kakushata Meta Dahambravimi He Sadava Sakala Eva Vihaya Durat Goranga Chandra Charane Kurutana Raga Parivada Tu Jano Yata Tata Va Nanu Mokarona Vayang Vicharayamaha Hari rasa madira madati matab huvi vilutama nartama nirvishama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. <coughs> 